you know, maybe this will help someone as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, Marcus, we just started the recording. Welcome on. Um, I'm glad to hear that you've uh, been doing a lot of different, uh, let us say you've been doing practices from various places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that uh, you've also been listening to some of the videos, and so you've gotten kind of a, an idea of the of the uh, distinctions that we're making. Uh, so uh, the place to start always is with the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths, that that's the basic teachings of the Buddha. Anything that does not fit in with the Four Noble Truths is not really the teachings of the Buddha at all. In fact, the Buddha actually has said in, I think we've got four different suttas now, where he specifically said that he only teaches one thing, both formally and now, he teaches just one thing, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Now, there's a whole lot of people who uh, have learned a whole lot of stuff from a whole lot of different places, some of which were even uh, Buddhist teachers in robes. But what they're teaching is not what the Buddha taught. And so we wind up with a whole lot of adjunct stuff that is not the teachings of the Buddha, but it appears to be Buddhism because it's highly wrapped up with it. Okay, so magical powers and rebirth, reincarnation, and being at one with the universe and a whole lot of other stuff is not what the Buddha teaches. That he only teaches one thing, and that is dukkha, dukkha naroda. Now, when a lot of people hear that, because they've learned so much stuff from other places, they try to fit in that one teaching into what they've learned before. And what they come up with is dukkha, dukkha, look at the dukkha, see the dukkha, see this dukkha related to that dukkha, go chase that dukkha down and go down a rabbit hole of dukkha. Because we promise you that the end of the, the deep, if you go deep enough into this rabbit hole, there's going to be no dukkha there. All right, and there's a whole, uh, it's a whole hole of dukkha. And so there's no dukkha naroda in those kind of practices. But the, but the teaching of the Buddha is to see the dukkha and avoid it, get out of it right now. Come out of the dukkha by seeing it. Now, the point that you're making is that once we've gone deep into that rabbit hole, it's hard to climb back out. And the answer to that is no, that's just a defeatist uh, attitude also. That whatever thought that you've got right now is just the thought that you're having right now. Never mind that you've had that same thought 10,000 times in a row. This thought is still just this thought. And you can change it. If you think you can. If you think because I've had this thought 10,000 things, then that's an unwholesome thought itself. Thinking that we can't change is an unwholesome thought. 
based upon the victim's mentality that we are all born and raised as victims and that uh, actually we're born as a victim. You cannot be born as a winner, though there are some stories that try to point that the mm. Buddha was already a winner when he was yeah. born. Mm -hmm. OK, that's just magical thinking. Yeah. The reality, it, it seems, is those kind of stories come because he was breech. It was a breech birth and his mom died in that and that he luckily survived. You know what a breech birth is? Mm, no. When you come out feet first. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've heard of it happening. OK, and that one of the things that modern doctors will do if they can see that this is going to be a breech birth is they'll do a whole lot of massage to try to turn that baby around so it'll come oh, out yeah. head mm -hmm. first. OK, mm -hmm. yeah, but they didn't know that kind of stuff 2500 years ago. Um. But anyway, back to the whole teaching of the Buddha is merely dukkha, dukkha naroda, to see it and to come out of it. And one of the ways that helps us see it is recognizing the cause of it. The cause of suffering is actually the second noble truth. The first noble truth is, is that unsatisfactoriness exists. Now, in English, that's been translated into suffering. Mm -hmm. Achan Tanisaro likes the word stress. Neither one of them are correct. It's neither suffering nor stress. Because stress means that things are under pressure. Right? We're not looking at the things under pressure. We're looking at the pressurizing thing. So it's not the stress. Stress is the result of unwholesome thought. The not liking. OK, so the dissatisfying thoughts, this is what we can actually begin to understand is, is that the word dukkha has to be defined correctly so that we can understand it correctly. And the understanding from the word dukkha is, is that it's just not satisfying. It's not good enough. It's not uh, excellent. If you went around, uh, let us say, like a uh, certain um, tracks of Christianity with your little books, but it was a Buddhist book and you were going around saying, I know that you're suffering in this life here, read my little book and you won't suffer anymore. People will say, hey, man, I don't suffer. Get out of here. Because to them, they don't suffer in life, but we we can explain that. Well, there are things that you find that are unsatisfying, unsatisfactory. That's the difference is that it's not suffering. It's just that it's unsatisfying. So. When we are little kids, we are born as a victim. Because everything that happens to an infant is unsatisfying. It's unsatisfactory. The children at that age can't even manipulate their own hands. They can't feed themselves. About the only thing that we learn, the first thing that we know is how to suck. And a lot of us continue to do that. And so when we wind up as an adult, we say that life sucks. <laughs> but life don't suck. If you stop sucking, life don't suck. <laughs> the, 
The problem is, is that we're constantly sucking on something because we haven't learned how to be satisfied with how much we've already gotten. And so we start off as a victim. Now, in little little children always have to put up with learning. Now, if a, if a child is learning in a nurturing environment, he may, in fact, not see any boundaries. And so he winds up being a sociopath. He's only selfish. He only cares about himself. But if we put too many rules and too many restrictions on the child and punish the child when he breaks the rules, then the child learns something. What does he learn? Oh, if I feel already bad, then mom will not have to punish me to make me feel bad. And so we learn how to feel bad in order to prove to the big people around us that we're already punished. Please don't punish me anymore. And then we yeah. find religion in it and we find that that's the religion. That's what religion is all about. Is please forgive me for the bad behavior that I've done. Look how bad I feel. Yeah, that's really interesting because like I've, I've thought about it, but it never quite clicked so well. That was that like we yeah, like we make ourselves feel bad because we feel that if we feel bad enough for the things that we think we did that were wrong, then we think that somehow, you know, absolves us. Mm -hmm. And so that's what most practices of meditation are about. You go into the meditation hall and you sit there and feel bad enough long enough something magical will happen you will get forgiveness or the way that i would would say it sometimes is is that the common machine will come in with his uh brush and sake pot and rose water and sprinkle you because he forgives you for all of the bad uh meditation classes you've had i mean a hundred thousand hours and now you can get some sake pot and feel good So that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking for forgiveness and we're looking for something else on the outside rather than recognizing that really everything is on the inside of the mind. That our that our dukkha, our dissatisfactions are basically our attitudes. The attitude of being a loser. The attitude of I've got to feel bad in order to get away with it. So if we recognize then that this model of the Buddha is not one of those kind of models, feel bad long enough and get forgiveness so that you can feel good, but rather that you can change that any time. So one of the mistakes that people begin to make is the, is the mistake of thinking that life itself is dukkha, that life sucks. But that's clearly not true. That's easily seen. An example of that is somebody puts your life in grave danger, holds a knife to your throat or puts a gun to your forehead or something like that and say, all right, you've got a choice. You can either die now or wait five minutes. Which would you choose? Yeah, I feel like I would probably go for the five minutes and I would be yeah, miserable right. during it. <laughs> ah, but at least we're still alive. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, that's the whole point is, is that the really only important thing in life is a life itself. That's the only thing that's important. And look how many things that we have considered important because those are supposed to be supports for life itself. And yet here's so many people thinking that life is dukkha. Makes no sense. Makes no sense at all when we recognize that the only thing that's important in our life is life itself. That's the only thing that's important. If we thought that, then we would be able to do something about it. Because life itself is not suffering. Suffering comes or dukkha comes from something else. Now, this is what we mean by the second noble truth is, is that there's an actual cause for it. Now, in the Vajrayana, they normally say that it's clinging or tanha, grasping and clinging that causes dukkha. But that's not the, the classical definition that's in the suttas. The classical definition has to do with the Pali word of moha loba dosa, greed, ill will, and delusion. I don't know why they put delusion third. Maybe that's a delusion itself because real dukkha comes through stupidity. That's the only real cause. Because wise wanting does not cause dukkha, only stupid wanting. Wanting the wrong thing at the wrong time or wanting something that you can't have, that's being dissatisfied because you can't get what you want. But if you wisely want only the things that are immediately available, then you'll be satisfied all the time. So we can't really say that it's greed or ill will that caused dukkha. It's our ignorance about it. It's our stupidity. It's our delusion. Now, we can even go so far as to say that that we can, in fact, identify ignorance in the sense of wise versus foolish ignorance. Wise ignorance means that you don't know, that you know that you don't know, and that you're okay with not knowing. Or you can do something about it. But, but foolish ignorance is delusional thinking that we know something to be true when it's not. And that's the real cause of dukkha. Here's a clear example of that. It's late at night, it's dark. No lights are on. And you gotta go to the bathroom. So you get up and you go to the bathroom and on the way you stumble and fall or you stub your toe on a piece of furniture. Now the question is, did you stub your toe out of ignorance or did you stub your toe out of delusion? Hmm. <laughs> If you knew the way to the bathroom in the dark, then that's what we thought. We thought we knew the way to the bathroom. We knew where the furniture was. We knew that we could avoid it. Yeah. If we had the thought, I do not know the way to the bathroom, somebody may have changed some furniture. The dog may have done a dump, something like that. And so now that I know that I'm ignorant and I don't know the way to the bathroom, I can turn the light on 
Yeah, yeah. So it's delusion. Yeah, it's delusion for sure. Okay. And that's the real cause of suffering or the real cause of unsatisfactoriness is because we're deluded to think something that's not true is true. Okay. And and one of the strongest of those is, is that we are now deluded into thinking that we're the same victim that we were when we were little children. Where now you're an adult, you're no longer a child. You're capable of managing your own life now. But as a child, we couldn't. But we get into the habit of thinking that we need help. We need help putting on our diaper. We need help getting food. We need help uh, tying our shoes. We need a ride to the school. We need, we need, we need. And we start off with a great deal of need in our childhood. And we stay in that. That in fact, what religion is, a big God is nothing but a big mommy and daddy, a magical mommy and daddy that are going to take care of your needs. But wisdom would say, you can take care of yourself. You do not need to be taken care of anymore. So this is the real teaching of the Buddha, is changing that attitude from the loser, the one who needs help, the one who has a hard time in meditation, who wants things, into the attitude change of a lion, one who is completely satisfied. You've got everything you need. And you're happy and comfortable. This is the major change. And this is actually part of the Eightfold Noble Path. But we can see it immediately if we understand it right. And that is, is that when we see Dukkha, we can see the cause of it. We can recognize that I was deluded. We can wise up right then and go right into the third noble truth. But the third noble truth is not something that we wait on. The third mm. noble truth is something that we get right here, right now, as opposed to the dukkha, which was originally the choice. This is why the Buddha called himself Tathagatha. You've heard that word before. Yeah, yeah, I have. Okay, do you know what the, the definition of that means? I've heard you say it multiple times on video, but... Uh... You can go ahead and do that again. All right. All right. Most people translate it as thus gone one, and that's completely confusing. The thus actually is better stated as this. But sometimes we use the word thus. Like, this is it. This right here, right now. That's And so the Buddha is the one who is gone to the here now. He is no longer trapped in the past or in the future or all thinking about someplace else that's not here. So what we're actually going to be practicing doing is coming into our sensory awareness of this present moment because that's how we experience this present moment. We can see it, we can hear it, we can touch it, we can taste it, all right here, right now. But the past... We can't really see that with our eyes. We have to remember or imagine it. Yep. And that most people cannot tell the difference between a memory and imagination. Because they're all the same. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we live in a world of imagination. 
We live in a world of memories. And because of that, we go around stumbling and stubbing our toes mentally. Because we're stubbing our toes on uh, the reality of the moment when in fact we were deluded to think that now is not like now, it's like it used to be. So we go around living in our past, stumbling on the things that are real right here, right now. And we go around saying, what the hell? I thought it was this way, and it's not. It changed. This is what we have with the concept of a Nietzsche. You've heard that, a Nietzsche, Dukkha, Anatta. A Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. A Nietzsche, Dukkha, Anatta. What yep. that actually can mean is not just things slowly, subtly over a long period of time change. No, everything is in flux. Everything is in turmoil. The seas that we swim on or swim in are turbulent. The times are not turbulent. Reality is turbulent. And we think that it's flat. And because we think it's flat, we keep falling on the floor because the floor is jumping up and down. It's not flat. And so the whole idea is that as we begin to uh, notice and look, we can begin to see this turbulence. And that turbulence is often missing in the instruction. We'll just look at what's there is not the right answer to that question when the student asks about, well, what do I note? Well, note what's there. No, note the fact that what is there is sometimes there and sometimes not there. That things are changing. Things are in flux. This is what we need to start noticing. Is that there's no stability in anything much. And when we expect things to be one way and there's some other way, then that's uh, the metaphor for stubbing one's mind. <laughs> because we're not watching what's going on right here, right now. So this is the, the teaching of the Buddha is to be here now. Be here in our senses. Use our eyes and our ears and our touch and our taste and our um, and our the senses that are in the present moment, as opposed to living in the past. Now later when we talk, we'll talk about how this actually this second noble truth that we're talking about actually winds up with a great deal of detail that is called dependent origination or Petitu Samuppada. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, okay. many times. All right, so this is exactly how the mind works in the sense that we cannot accept what's happening right here, right now. It's just merely sensory input because we don't know how to make sense out of it. So we will use the, the our old data, we'll use the in order to put that and compare it with what's going on now in order to make sense out of what's happening right now. And that's very, very dangerous because our memories are not that good. And in fact, memories have three problems. One is, is that because we were spending all of our, or much of our time remembering rather than looking, the new data that we're getting in is not complete. We don't really see what's going on. So our memory systems already receive bad data. 
And then it gets mixed in with a lot of other stuff. So that sometimes we can't tell. A lot of people, let us say, who live in the same house their whole childhood, they don't know in their memories whether they were how old or not. Some of us that had to change houses every year, live in a different town every year, we know what happened at a particular age because we have that surroundings. Okay, so that's the way that we that we begin to understand is, is that this, the, the new data that is now going to be a new memory gets mixed in with old stuff. And then when it's time to recall that stuff. It also we don't recall it correctly. Yeah, because we're trying to fit. We're trying to find just the right thing in our memory to fit in with what's going on right now again. So our memories are selective in the in the beginning. They're selected in their storage and then they're selected under retrieval. That's why we cannot trust our own things that in fact, this is one of the major problems with. Um, with the justice system that rely on eyewitnesses. Because eyewitnesses are not trustworthy. That what we really need is DNA evidence. We need hard evidence. We need smoking guns. We need videos because the human memory is not really good. So this is actually now when we understand it that way, we can begin to get into the um, the, the point about the uh, the four noble truths really has to do with this eightfold noble method. It's not a path; it's a method. The problem with uh, uh, much of Western Buddhism is bad translations. I spend a lot of time redefining the words for the students so that they can understand that life is not suffering, but that but dissatisfactions exist due to our delusions. And also the the path out of that is not a path. So I use the analogy, imagine that you've got a door that you need to open. And all you need to do is to put the key in the door, turn the latch, turn the knob and push. Taking the right effort to line things up correctly and then push. But most people, because of our Christian um, influences, we think that that door is a thousand miles from here. And we got to walk a path. We got to take a bicycle path or a parkway or a driveway or something like that to get to uh, the door. Where in fact, the door is right here, right now. The door is not off into the future. It's not out there someplace. It's right here, right now. And all we have to do is take the effort to open the door. And so even though we had that same thought system for 10,000 times in a row, doesn't mean that that door has to stay closed and we're doomed to stand here with those same thoughts. No, we can make a change. We can immediately make a change. When do we immediately make that change? When we remember to, or when we yeah. think about it, when we recognize that we could come out of our old thoughts, our old past, our old behaviors, and come into this present moment right here, right now, and all we have to do is remember to do that. 
This is why I use the word wakey, wakey, wake up. This is the reality that most of the time we spend our time in daydreams. Or maybe with their even day mares. <laughs> yeah. And if we can remember that, well, hey, I don't have to, to think, I can see instead. So this is the real teaching of the Buddha that there is merely, if you take the right effort, you can make a change. So when do we do that? Whenever we remember to do that. Also, what changes do we need to make? That's based upon wisdom. That's based upon one's right noble view. Now, when I say view, most of the people hear the word view and they think about a view like a viewpoint or a life's view or um, a way of looking at things, okay? That's not what we mean by that. That that's in fact a noun. So a uh, wrong view would be a noun in the sense of I, uh, my wrong view is, is that I could go and do what I want to do and gain what I want to gain and not have to suffer any consequences. And right, no, a right ordinary view is, oh, no, you can't. There is hell to pay. And we know because we invented the hell we're going to send you to. Okay, so you could say then that uh, in normal circumstances, it is the little child's position that is wrong view. I want it, I want it, I want it. And the uh, parent's view is, no, you can't get what you want. You got to play the game, jump through the hoops, do what you're told to do, and then we'll give you what you want. So this is not noble right viewing. The view in this case is not a noun. It's not a viewpoint or a way of looking at it. It's the actual observation right here, right now to look, to view, to see what's going on in this present moment, especially inside the mind. To recognize that this thought that I'm having could be improved. That's the way of looking at it. In any thought that you're having in this moment, if you examine it for quality, you could find a way of improving it. So if you're having thoughts about, oh, I hate to do this or this is hard, we could recognize, wait a minute, I can change that view from it's hard into viewing it to recognize it. I can do that. Yes, I can. That, that I was just stuck in the past because when I was a child, I couldn't do things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically what we're talking about now is, is to bring in that discrimination for these thoughts, to recognize that many of the thoughts, especially the thoughts that we have about our thoughts, are often unwholesome thoughts. Like when I see the dukkha, then, oh, there I go again. And that, oh, yeah, yeah. that's an unwholesome thought. A wholesome thought would be, aha, I caught you. I see <laughs> you. And this is uh, of the way of gladdening the mind, changing the way that we're thinking. 
and finding a new way to think based upon wholesome. Now, if we practice these three things, right view, right sati to remember. Now, this is the right sati is often referred to as mindfulness. But I don't think that mindfulness is a very good translation. But a much better word, like I said before, would be wakey wakey. That's a really much better definition to wake up. To wake up and to sm you've heard the expression to wake up and smell the coffee. Well, there's a whole lot of Anapanasati in there to wake up <laughs> and to take a deep breath and to smell what's going on in the here now. This air right here, right now, not some old stale air from the past or some memory, but smell what's going on right here, right now to wake up and to look at what's going on right here, right now. And when we do that, now we can, uh, with discernment, make a choice. What is the choice we're going to make to change, to change, to make the choice to change that we can change the thoughts that we're having, that we can improve them, that we come out, can come out of unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts from the attitude then of I can't do this into the attitude of I am doing it. And this is the fourth item on the list to Sama Sankapa. So the Eightfold Noble Path actually has four elements that are skills to be developed. One of the elements then is the outcome of this, which is called right unification of mind. To unify and bring the mind together. Remember, I was talking about that the mom and the child are in conflict with each other. The mom wants the child to do what he's supposed to do, and the child wants to do what the child wants to do. Okay, and we carry this conflict in our minds around with us our whole lives. So one example is, oh, I ought to go on a diet. Oh, I want that donut. Oh, no, you cannot have that donut. You're supposed mm -hmm. to be on a diet. You watch me. <laughs> 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 and that gives a lot of delusions in the sense that one of them, this is the one that I like the most. And that is, is that if the fat person can eat something and nobody sees him, then it won't make him fat what he eats. But if my mommy sees me in the refrigerator, then then because my mommy saw me eat it, now it's going to make me fat. But if nobody sees me eat it. OK, so this is the delusion that has to do with that conflict that we have inside about mommy says you've got a rule you cannot eat that food because you're on a diet so what we can say then is that we can begin to unify this mind we can bring these components together and the way that we do that is by right sati to remember to look at what we're doing and to change this dialogue this war inside into a harmonious thing and when we do that over and over and over and over again we begin slowly to change our attitude based upon success that we have to learn to be successful and when we learn to be successful over and over again then that kind of uh, changes that victim's attitude 
into a winner's attitude. I could do this. And that I can do this. That's then bringing in that unification of mind. Now, in the sutta, the Buddha says, uh, listen, monks, and I will tell you about right unification of mind with its supports and features. The features of a mind that's well organized is basically like this. If you don't want anything, then you're very unlikely to go kill somebody to get it. Yeah. If you don't want anything, you're unlikely to go steal it. And if you're in seclusion, it's very unlikely for you to kill anybody because there's nobody around. <laughs> If you're in seclusion, then it's unlikely for you to steal anything because there's nothing around to get stolen. But in fact, if you're in seclusion, then it's unlikely for you to get drunk because you have to have drinking buddies and alcohol. And so when you're in seclusion, this is why the Buddha promotes seclusion so much is because that gives us an introductory method of getting away from it all. So now we can do that cleaning out process to get all that unwholesome stuff out of the mind. So when the mind now is noble, you don't want anything. And so your behavior is going to be good enough. You don't have to have a bunch of rules. So we can throw these rules out and concentrate, if you want to think of it, the word concentration, or we can in fact do the wholesome way of getting the mind completely organized. This is why um, the the precepts are referred to on the Eightfold Noble Path, but as a feature of the correct practice, not the cause of correct practice. And yet in our society, we give our children a whole lot of rules. Even in Buddhist country, they give the children precepts. They give the, the kids rules. Why is that? Because the kids are too stupid to figure out what the rule should be. So the adults give them a set of old rules that seem to work pretty well. All right. But keeping the rules is not going to purify the mind. There is a term that I use. It's called goody two-shoes. A goody two-shoes is someone who... Um, knows all the rules and abides by all the rules, but he's still miserable. <laughs> but at least he follows all the rules because he thinks that that's his path. So we need to come out of the rules are going to set me free into no clarity of mind is going to set me free, including setting me free from the rules setting me free from all the lies that I've been told. So this is the correct way of practicing. And with this, then, the Buddha had a method to do this. This, this Eightfold Noble Method, uh, he adds Anapanasati. That's the practice of the Buddha for uh, developing the skills of the Eightfold Noble Path. Now, uh, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, my teacher, actually got into a bit of uh, kerfuffle in Thailand when he made that statement that the Buddha only gave one kind of meditation. Because you've got all of these books, I mean, in one place they've got 40 different meditations. 
You probably heard about that. 40 different meditations. The Buddha only gave one. He didn't give 40. 40 was done by students of the Buddha long after he died. They went and picked through all the garbage. But the Buddha only taught one. And so when there was a literature search done in Thailand for that, it came up correct that the Buddha only taught one kind of meditation, only one, and that's Anapanasati. He did not teach noting. He did not teach choiceless awareness. That in fact, the choiceless awareness is, is Anapanasati with a couple of pieces gone. That that's, that's Western Buddhism is, is that the reason that Buddhism in the West doesn't work is because there's key ingredients that are missing. Key ingredients. Think about baking a cake. And you have eggs and milk or butter or margarine or uh, uh, sugar, a flavoring, and um, the wheat. But if you have no wheat, you're not going to make a cake. But you can make something. If you have no sugar, then whatever you make is not going to be a cake. It's going to be something else. Okay. So the cake that the Buddha makes is the Anapanasati that's got all of the ingredients there. And, and if, it's, uh, if a practice is missing some of the key ingredients, it's not Anapanasati anymore. It's something else. And so when we recognize that these four items, to wake up, look at what you're doing, make a change and congratulating yourself for making that change. That's the method. And that um, this method is applied to four things. The four things that is applied to is the Satipatthana. Now, I know a lot of people really love the Satipatthana Sutta. Goenka is a big one on that, and so is the Mahasi method. But the Buddha sees the Satipatthana as only a framework in order which to practice Anapanasati. He says is that we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the, the Satipatthana, which means that Satipatthana meditations are incorrect because they're trying to, um, they've got the cause and effect backwards. Mm. That they're trying to get the effect by making it the cause. Rather than recognizing, no, this is the cause, or this is what we do. These are the skills to be developed, and this is the outcome. So many examples of that. One of them would be metta. Metta is not a practice. Metta is not a skill to be developed. Metta is the outcome of correct practice, of getting the mind pure. When the mind is pure, our hearts are pure, and then we can be metta with other people. But if we go around saying, oh, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free, you probably heard about this someplace, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, sure. Guess what? When we say may all beings be happy, two things are going on. One is I'm not happy. And number two, <clears throat> neither are all of these people that I want to be happy. So I'm actually creating dukkha when I say may all beings be happy. Another way of saying it would be, wow, I wish you'd be as free and as happy as I am right now. 
Now that's real meta. To be happy right now and to share your joy with others. That's meta. But wanting them to be happy when you yourself are not, that's wishful thinking. And so in that regard, we have to tell the difference between what is the cause and what is the effect. And we recognize that the cause of all of this is going to be this method, this Eightfold Noble Path. And so we practice that, those four things, with the body, with the feeling, with the mind, and with the mind's objects. This is the Satipatthana, the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind's objects. Or in the Pali, Kaya Nupasana, Vedana Nupasana, Chitta Nupasana, and Dhamma Nupasana. But again, we're going to practice it um, not in a formalized way or a step-by-step -step sequence, but rather the chronological sequence has to do, which is natural. We wake up, we take a look, we make a change, and then when we see that change was beneficial. We do that over and over again. We wake up, we make a change, uh, we, we look at what's going on, we make a change and we change it, and then we feel good about it. So we practice that with the mind originally in the sense of the waking up is a mental thing. Taking a look is a mental thing. That in fact, um, item number nine on the uh, Anapana, in the Anapanasati Sutta has to do with examining the mind, which is that investigation. And then the next thing that we do is we brighten the mind, gladden the mind, bring the mind up, make those unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. Okay, then we start working with the body. The body means that we need to uh, make some changes in there. And one of the changes that we're going to make is the way that we breathe. Instead of breathing absent-mindedly, or breathing because of the, uh, the old reptilian part of the brain is doing it on automatic pilot, we're actually going to start breathing consciously. We're actually going to remember to take a long, deep breath. We're going to remember to take a long, deep out breath. And while we're remembering to take long, deep in breath and long, deep out breath, there, now we've got the mind and the body working together in unison. If we have a, a method that says, oh, we'll just watch the breathing, then the mind will wander away very quickly. But if we're intentionally controlling the breath and hanging on to it, okay, imagine that you had some little animal that you had in your hand and you're not holding it, it's just a little sitting there. Mm. If that animal jumps out of your hand, it's gone immediately, it just jumps. But if you're actually holding that animal, then when it squirms to move, you don't lose it. So this is why we learn to control the breathing. Then, in fact, this is all about the change. We're going to change the way that we breathe. We're going to change the way that we think. And when we get those two things working correctly, we're going to put them together in kind of a pincer movement to start controlling the way that we feel. And how are we going to feel? We're going to feel good. Why are we going to feel good? It's because we're talking ourselves into feeling good. 
that in fact we can say it this way you have been spending your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad oh yeah now is the time to talk yourself into feeling good when do we do that when we remember so we don't necessarily need so much of a formal meditation practice what we need is seclusion for a little while so we can practice getting ourselves back into a good state to practice getting ourselves into a into a good feeling and we do that by breathing well and by changing the way that we thought and talk ourselves into feeling good and once we get that and do that over and over and over again we can begin to congratulate ourselves in the sense of hey i can do this it doesn't matter what happens i can handle it it doesn't matter how much obstructions of the mind it doesn't matter how bad i feel i can change that throw that hindrances stuff out of the mind and come back to the present moment right here right now and that can be done in the first minute of meditation this is this is a skill to be developed but we can do it as a beginner skill right away that's the point that this is not something that like you gave the story about somebody had a, an experience and the teacher says you didn't have that experience because you haven't been meditating long enough yeah. No. no, all he has to do is just talk himself into feeling that way, and he does feel that way, and you can yep. do that the first day. So what the that teacher's doing is just uh, demonstrating his own jealousy. Yeah. He's just demonstrating his own jealousy. If he had had his own mind uh, in a good shape, he would have congratulated that student. Wow, that's good. I'm really glad that you could do that. Exactly. Teach me. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is the basic way of practicing this Eightfold Noble Path. And we practice it over and over and over again until we get into the position that we know that we could do it. And that's our change of attitude. That's the Sama Sankapa. That's when we really come out of our childhood victimhood into the full blown champion adult that you actually really are already. All we have to do is stop having our childish thoughts and our childish dreams, wake up to the reality and know we can handle anything. You can even handle your own death if you're ready for it. Doesn't matter yeah. what happens, you can handle it. And so we we actually th contemplate and think about that. How am I going to die? What are the various ways? What would be your choice, by the way? How would you like to die? Hmm. Crucifixion sounds really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Here I am hanging out. Hard to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> or self-emulation. Uh, I'd like to go out yeah. like Top Gun, too, you know, 
ejection seat after your jet plane gets blown up and all no parachute. <laughs> and now we have a nice long visual. Oh, I can see the curvature of the earth already. <laughs> Good show on the way down. So this is something that we can plan on. This is what we could do with that joyous um, attitude of being a winner. That you can handle anything. You can handle being in prison. You can handle being in jail. You can handle being in solitary confinement. We can do that if the mind is straightened out. They put people in solitary confinement because most of the people are, are worried and needy and whatnot like that, and they'll go crazy in solitary confinement. But us Buddha boys, we'll just say, ah, thank you. <laughs> this is a nice cave. <laughs> and I don't even have to go out for Bendabot. You bring the food to me. <laughs> yeah, I can handle prison. <laughs> And so when we get that attitude, we recognize we can handle anything. You can handle anything with the right attitude. And this whole practice is all about getting the right attitude, bringing your mind together into this winner's position, this adult. And so this is what the practice is really all about, that you can be free from from your dissatisfaction when you stop wanting things that you don't have and start enjoying the things that you do have. Best things in life are free. I won't charge you a nickel for this next breath. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think like one of the things is that like, um, but I've forgotten to remember for a while and I've like fought myself into like an unwholesome state and there's like a bodily uh, feeling that I don't like. And then I like, uh, you know, try to uh, uh, bring back wholesome thoughts. Uh, but mm -hmm. like, um, there's like this feeling like, uh, you know, when I'm feeling good, I think a wholesome thought, I like immediately feel this, uh, you know, pleasure mm -hmm. in the body. But when I've, when I've felt bad for a while, there's like this lin lingering like tension and all that stuff. And so when I think wholesome thoughts, but it's not like immediately clearing that up. And then I, uh, then I start thinking unwholesome thoughts like, oh no, feeling bad. Mm -hmm. So if you, um, let's first discuss the issue that the human body is a electromechanical chemical machine and that the chemicals are often quite slow mm -hmm. for instance if you brought if you pump a lot of adrenaline in the body that adrenaline will stay there yeah. for 10 20 30 40 seconds or sometimes even longer mm -hmm. but you can take deep breaths and change your body chemistry and not only that but if you change the thoughts that you're having then you're no longer producing that chemistry. You're not on, you're no longer producing that um, adrenaline. 
But if you feel tense and uptight and anxious because of all of that adrenaline, all of that stress that you put into the body, then it's going to take a while for that stuff to dissipate if you're having good, wholesome thoughts. But most of the time, people do not like being anxious and uptight. By not liking being anxious and uptight, they're giving themselves unwholesome thoughts, which keeps the anxiousness and the uptight going. (laughs) so once you recognize oh i've been making myself uptight and anxious let me watch that stuff over the next 30 seconds melt away take a deep breath and say well how's that anxiety now can i play with it a little bit taking another deep breath is not as bad as it was the last Mm -hmm. breath Mm -hmm. okay and we can start paying attention to what's going on with the body in this present moment rather than wanting that anxiety to go away because it's not going to go away when we want it to go away it's only going to go away when we're when we become relaxed and satisfied mentally and then the body will become relaxed and satisfied and then the feelings will become relaxed and satisfied so that's the way to practice is to catch it early if you can because the sooner you catch it then the easier it is to deal with because the sooner you catch it the less adrenaline there is but if we keep practicing and practicing this make sure that you practice it at least for that 10 or 20 or 30 seconds so that you can get yourself free from the adrenaline and then congratulate yourself because there are thoughts that come in, oh, no, there it comes again. It's got me. I feel bad. And this is going to be really hard to get rid of. And all yeah, of those yeah. are really unwholesome thoughts. Yeah, they keep like pumping the adrenaline. And then I'm wondering why it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away because you're pumping it up. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't like it. <laughs> and so we need to change our attitude of, oh, I can make this stuff go away. I can't. I can. All I have to do is just sit here and breathe and just watch what's going on and I'll settle down. I'll relax. That sometimes um, is possible. Let us say it like this. I'll tell you the story is, is that sometimes I wake up in the morning and feel really tired. Oh, I'm going to be tired all day today. I'm an old man. You know, I'm already nearly 80 and Blah, 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 you know, and there I am feeling bad. But if I can say to myself, oh, well, you're feeling tired right now because you weren't breathing really well. Let's take a few deep breaths and see how you feel. And by breathing well, much of the time that tiredness will go away. So whenever you're feeling tired, recognize that you have some control over that feeling that normally we feel tired just because we don't have all the uh, uh, energy that we could have if we would breathe correctly. And so breathing well will help us to feel well. That's the real practice now is to recognize that we can change the way that we feel. Most people say, oh, I can't change the way that I feel. In fact, our whole language is set up like that. We say things like, I am tired. I am angry. I am frustrated. Right? The reality is is that there is frustration, but that's not me. That when we say I am frustrated, that's like the frustration is going around and now I'm attached to it. And around and around and around I frustration go. 
But wakey, wakey, and then we recognize, oh, I'm not the frustration. I'm the one who's looking at the frustration. Aha, uh -huh, I see you, frustration. And guess what? Then the frustration will stop because I'm separating. I pull a distance. Mm -hmm. I see what's going on. Ah, I am not frustrated, but I see the frustration. So this is a way that we can begin to walk, work with that, is by separating ourselves from the bad feelings that we have, to separate ourselves from those thoughts and say, I am not that thought. My thoughts are wholesome thoughts. I've got wholesome thoughts here, boys. Go ahead. So like another thing I noticed, like uh, when the... Uh... When I when I have the adrenaline in the body, it's like sometimes like there are these sorts of it's not like thoughts that are fully verbalized, but it's just like a split second of some kind of image or something like I mm -hmm. can't even I can't even like acknowledge exactly what it is, but it's enough that it like creates some sort of unpleasant emotion. And then I like if I see I notice that I say, OK, I, aha, I see that this unwholesome thought, thought has happened, but then it's like. But then it's like they keep like coming like boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And I can't uh, like, like before I even realize it's like gone, but it's had some kind of like effect. We can begin to talk a little bit today right now about what I would call a mind moment. Mm -hmm. When you said split second, yes. In fact, we split things down at about a tenth of a second. And a lot can happen. About 10 things can happen in that one second. And sometimes an image will come in one split second. And then in the next split second, the adrenaline starts up. Yeah. That it just takes just an, an instant vision. Many different mm -hmm. kinds of things that uh, could be examples of that. Like just the thought of not doing the homework. Or on, on the way to work. Just the thought of, oh, I didn't bring my cell phone. But we didn't even have the thought, oh, I didn't bring my cell phone. Yeah, All there yeah. was was just an image of the cell phone. And then immediately we feel bad. Yeah. Oh, the cell phone. And we don't even have to say, I left the cell phone at home. We don't have to complete all of that because the mind fast. The mind is yeah. so fast. The Buddha had it said one time is that the mind, oh monks, is so fast that I don't even have an analogy for it. Well, now in modern times with clocks and whatnot, we do have the understanding of what a split second is, and we do have that kind of timing. But the Buddha, he had no analogy for how fast the mind is. An example of that would be, um, do you know the planet um, uh, Saturn? With the rings? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You just went to Saturn and back to planet Earth much faster than the speed of light. That's how fast the mind yeah. is. You put a uh, an image of Saturn in your mind. You had some rings there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it didn't last long, did it? <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> so that's how long it takes us to go from Saturn back. <laughs> Instantly. Tenth of a second or so. So yeah. that this is why we want to practice, develop the skills so that our sati gets really fast. So that mm -hmm. we can see those images, immediately see them, 
and then make a new image. But if we can't do it that fast, then we have to deal with the fact that now I'm talking myself into feeling bad. Oh, I forgot yeah. the cell phone. Oh, I'm going to have to go turn around. Yeah. And now is when all the adrenaline starts up. And so we can catch that stuff quickly. And the quicker we catch it, the less adrenaline we put in our system. And also we haven't ground into that habit again. And so this is why we want to practice getting very quick of look those thoughts really quickly. To wakey wakey very quickly. And as we do, we begin to have just one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. Because we're watching. Every thought that comes by is this wholesome or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm already noticing I'm having like this uh, mind moments of unwholesome thoughts, thinking about like I'm imagining like I'm imagining even though I know it's like not like that, but I mean, there's like this effort, like, I mean, I have to watch like every split second that something's coming up <laughs> and then I'm mm -hmm. making myself feel bad already. Like, you know, I feel oh, like, you but know, that's the thought that mm -hmm. needs to be caught. Yeah. Oh, this is too much work. I can't see the mind so fast. Ah, oh, that's the thought that needs to be caught. Ah, oh, I see that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least. <laughs> <laughs> And then never mind, start again, come back and just enjoy the moment and start having the kind of thoughts that you want to have rather than thoughts of failure. We begin to have thoughts of success. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's I think like, go, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, like currently <laughs> the uh, the wholesome thoughts I'm using to like counter the unwholesome, like they they take like a longer time. So it feels like I'm competing with something that's like so much quicker. And so much more skilled because of the practice. You <laughs> literally have been talking True yourself side. into feeling bad for all of these years. So give yeah. yourself a break to recognize, oh, it's going to be a little bit of work here, but we can do it. We could do this. Never mind this moment. Let's have a new nine moment. Let's practice now. And let's not deal with the failures of the past. Let's deal with the success of right now. And then we don't use words like, oh, this is hard anymore. Instead, we can work with it. Oh, this is fun. Hey, it's fun to watch the mind. What a marvelous toy this human mind is. And you've got one of your own to play with. And here you've been not using it correctly, abusing it, treating it the way that you treated it when you were in diapers, when you didn't know how to manage your own mind. Now that you're an adult, you know how to manage it. Give yourself credit for that. Just not every second, not every moment, but you can when you remember. And so now we're going to start remembering often and remembering quickly. And the last part of that is also remembering strongly in the sense of because a lot of people will will wake up and say, there I go again, because their sati is not strong enough. It's only strong enough to see the dukkha, but it's not strong enough to take on the right effort to change it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So watch for that. And then you say, well, I can put in the effort. I can do this. I can change it. And if it flips back. Never mind, I'll flip it again. 
And if it flips back, never mind, I'll flip it again. Because you, uh, you've been practicing a long time and keeping it flopped. Yeah, yeah. And so now we have to keep changing it and flipping it, and then it'll flop again. Never mind, we'll flip it again. And then it'll flop again. Never mind, I'll flip it again. This is the right attitude, and we develop that also as a skill to remember that I can do this. It's an easy thing to change. The mind is so fickle. I mean, the mind is just all over the place anyway. But we can, in fact, begin to corral the mind. We begin to put limits and boundaries on it, say, no, you're not going to go into the thicket. You're not going to wade into the sewer. You're going to stay here in the wholesome area and train the mind for that. And pretty soon it begins to work. And you congratulate yourself and see that success and you know that it can work. And this is what gives you then the um, the attitude that you can continue to do this. A lot of students will start meditation and then not get any benefit out of it and quit. So recognize that you're getting benefit out of your practice every time you practice correctly. And take that benefit. Aha, got that one. Another gold star. <laughs> so I think that we've gotten a good uh, introduction here going. Yeah. What do you I think, think so about too. this? Yeah, I uh, I found this definitely helpful and uh, enjoyable. Excellent, excellent. Well, Marcus, we'll talk about your uh, deeper practice right now. What I or let us say the style of practice and whatever. We'll talk about that later. Right now, we yeah. can just start sure. adding this to whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. Is to remember you can wake up. Remember that you can look at what's going on and remember you can change it. And then you can congratulate yourself for changing it over and over and over again. And this is the basic practice that we do. Now, next time when you call, we'll fit this actually into Anapanasati and start talking about more of the details of Anapanasati. But this is the basic point. We do this with the mind, we do this with the body, and pretty soon we'll start changing the way that we feel. Sounds great. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our call. Yeah, me too. All right. So we'll see you later. Yeah. Call in a couple of three days or so, and that'll be good. Okay. All right. We'll see you. And welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.